Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to a Believe podcast. This is Patrick Honeywell, filling in for John Hoisenstamm. My special guest today is John Hoisenstamm. This is an exciting day for me because uh, John Hoisenstamm, he's got a fantastic podcast, as you know, and my honor is to be able to interview him because, you know, on his on his podcast, he does a lot of great interviews with some amazing musicians, and he's a great and amazing musician with a really killer history. So I thought, you know what, I'd like to interview John uh, because I think uh, with his fans and his friends and his musician friends and family, we'd all like to know more about him. So that's why I'm here today. So, John, uh, so happy to have you here today. Thank you. Now, uh, I my opportunity today is to really try to dig deep into your history a little bit uh, and then follow it to where you are today. Okay. How's that sound? That's perfect. <laughs> okay, cool. That's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me too. So your hometown, I believe your hometown, is it Santa Monica? No, it was Whittier originally. Whittier? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you're in Whittier. Uh -huh. I'm kind of visualizing Whittier right now. We're taking a little drive, and then I'm thinking, okay. Now, when you're you're in Whittier, but when you first started uh, and forming an interest in guitar, right? Um, where was that? Was that in Whittier? Or was yeah, that I was in Whittier. Uh, okay. My uncle Peter was a flamenco guitarist, Ooh. and he was out on the patio uh, playing his guitar. That's an ancient memory for me. I might have been three or four years old, so wow. I got exposed to the guitar. Uh, mm -hmm. very young, live guitar, you know, not listening to the radio, a person actually is sitting in front of me uh, demonstrating uh, how it's done. So that was that was a big inspiration. You know, if he can do it, I can do it type of inspiration. Yeah, so at three or four years old, he's playing flamenco, John, and he gave you a couple of castanets to kind of get you warmed up. <laughs> you know I was fascinated by castanets and hey, Spanish them. dancing and all that stuff because uh, that was some the, the – dancing that went with that kind of music so i got to mm -hmm. see some of that yeah yeah very nice okay so tell me about your first guitar so when you got you said you know what well it's interesting because that's sorry it's no. connected to uh to uncle pete okay because he gave my mother uh a nylon string classical guitar uh, when i was uh, about seven so hmm. that guitar came into the house and then my aunt and i'll even tell you it was a Zenon gut guitar an early Japanese guitar which was a good quality instrument and then mm -hmm. my aunt Barbara my uncle's uh, sister um, Uncle Pete's sister she gave me a Harmony jazz guitar in those days they were made at Sears and Roebuck uh, they were inexpensive cheap but it was a jazz guitar with F holes and steel strings so I had the nylon string guitar in the house mm -hmm. and then the steel string guitar going at the same time yeah. Wow. Now, did you have an amplifier, a little amp in the old days? Well, she gave me uh, a couple of amps. Eventually, just a couple of years later, when they saw that I was taken to the guitar, she gave me her electric bass, an old Fender Precision bass. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And that had a Standell amplifier, which was, you know, very good quality. And then a little small practice amp. I'm not quite sure uh, uh, the company that made that. But then I, at nine years old, there I had an electric bass guitar and amplification and my oh, other wow. guitar. So I was, you know, get, getting my uh, feet wet. So you're you're you have this nylon string guitar, uh, a bass guitar, yeah, and an electric guitar, kind of a Sears style. No. Uh, well, guitar, that didn't right? have a pickup; they were both acoustic. Oh, okay. So I had two okay. acoustic guitars and uh, just okay. the electric bass. Yeah, I didn't get my first uh, electric guitar until uh, later on in high school. Uh, I borrowed my dad's car i was only 15 i didn't have a driver's license but i bugged him so much i wanted this uh, les paul jr that was at the pawn shop in uh, fullerton on harbor boulevard so i uh my dad was so tired of me bugging him about this guitar that i uh actually took the guitar without a driver or excuse me i took the car without a driver's license <laughs> and i drove to fullerton bought the guitar from a pawn shop for eighty dollars now they're worth a fortune these same guitars this is les paul jr so that was my first electric guitar that i uh, purchased uh, that les paul jr John Heusenstam playing some surf guitar. This is a Believe podcast. I'm your host, normally John Heusenstam. Today my guest host is Pat Honeywell. I hope you're enjoying our show. Please subscribe. So interesting, fascinating. Nine years old, uh, what were you listening to? Because you, you pick up the guitars, you think, you know, I want to sound like this, or I, I'm influenced by this. Who influenced you at that age? Well, back at that time... Um, surf music was prevalent, right? Ventures and that sort of thing. And um, I was the bass player. So in other mm. words, I would get, immediately I started playing in bands because there wasn't any bass players my age particularly and in the area that we were in, you know. There were just okay. guitar players. So wow. the, my main influence guitar-wise with the people in the bands I played in. So I would sit there and play the bass, and we'd do all these uh, surf tunes. And mm -hmm. it gradually got into blues and you know other types of popular music, Motown and all that. But I was always the bass player listening to other mm -hmm. guitar players play. So, so that's, you, that's, that's how it uh, started panning out, yeah. You remember your first high school band? Uh, absolutely. It was called Silkwood. 
And, oh, and nice. uh, okay. John Prattle, the guitar player, lives here in Laguna Beach, where I live, and we're still friends. And hmm. so that goes way back to when I was uh, in the ninth, ninth grade, a freshman in high school. And we hmm. we were busy. We were, we were playing um, at the teen centers. We were playing at talent shows. We won the Pepsi Battle of the Bands in Pomona. Uh, we wow. were we were pretty uh, pretty good for how young we were. Um, the singer was Dave Riddle. He was like a soul <laughs> singer. He was a very tall white guy with a natural. So we were kind of like uh, <laughs> we were kind of like uh, you know uh, I don't know what the word would be, but uh, it was uh, funny to watch. I'll I'll tell you. So it was him, <laughs> John on guitar, and John was very good. He could play uh, great rhythm guitar and lead stuff. He was into Hendrix and Clapton and all the Motown type of rhythm guitar styles. And then it was Staff mm -hmm. Fieldhouse on the drums. And uh, <laughs> he was a, a, a professional drummer eventually as well. So uh, he, we were all pretty serious about uh, being good. So that was the first band, Silkwood. And high school, that is. But my first uh, band that I rehearsed a lot with was in junior high. The guitarists were uh, Dave Anderson, Wayne Harriman, drummer Bob Smith, and we would play at uh, the school's talent shows and practice a lot. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, so your influences were kind of the surf-type music, which is uh, makes sense to me in that you were a part of a young, you were a young surfing family. You had two brothers, uh, Paul and Mark, and you all surfed, correct? Yeah, we all used to make the drive down uh, Highway 39 to Huntington Beach and Newport Beach when we were really <laughs> young, you know. Wow. Um, my dad used to take us at first, and then when Paul got his driver's license when he was 16, he would start mm -hmm. driving, and we'd all pile into a VW, uh, I mean, a bug or a van. We, that's all we had were VWs around the house. Wow. And then we'd go to Doheny, which was only about <laughs> 35 minutes uh, drive from where we lived, and we'd wow, go surfing all, you know, on the weekends you know, as much as we could. Well, you guys are really, really good surfers, too. Fantastic. Uh, and I know your your brother, I think, still surfs in Australia, your brother Mark, but we'll get to your Australia adventures soon in this interview. Okay. Um, but continuing with, okay, so I have, thinking along the lines of surf or surfing, uh -huh. I'll never forget uh, a band that you were in, and I want to know how that band got started. It's called the Surf Punks. Tell me about the Surf Punks. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of, kind of a leap because you're uh... – you're jumping. Well, yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> what are we, or we can go back. No, that's the fine. That's fine. The surf <laughs> punks. Uh, I was living. Uh, I was living in Malibu at the time, which is an interesting story because my parents, uh, they all saved up. Uh, my mom saved up ten thousand. My dad saved up ten thousand, and my grandmother saved up ten thousand, and they bought this apartment building hmm. in Malibu. Mm -hmm. Can you believe it? For uh, thirty thousand dollars down, they bought an apartment apartment building. <laughs> <laughs> And no so way. my mom had this apartment, and meanwhile, uh -huh. she was uh, back and forth between UCLA and Columbia, New York. She, she'd be gone for these long stints. And my mm -hmm, dad mm -hmm. was a little bit far from uh, his work in Arcadia, so he got an apartment in uh, Los Feliz, which is near mm -hmm. Griffith Park. So I was out there by myself in Malibu surfing, wow. right, and practicing <laughs> the guitar. And then I wow. bumped into Dennis Dragon. Uh, who was wow, the leader of the surf punks. He lived in Malibu, and they're a very famous uh, family, the family. Dragons. Uh, Daryl Dragon uh, was a captain of Captain Tennille. Mm -hmm. Carmen Dragon was a conductor and arranger. Uh, did a very famous uh, America the Beautiful, I think, uh, arrangement mm -hmm. and some fantastic uh, well-known uh, orchestrations for American bandstand-type stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the Dragons were a very established uh, music family, and we just uh, became friends. But it was later that he started uh, the Surf Punks with a guy named Drew Steele, and they had already made uh, some recordings. Uh, my Beach, My Wave were the, was the single, and mm-hmm. they needed to complete an album, you know, to follow mm-hmm. it up. And they needed more material, and that's how I got into the band. They hired me to help, uh, you know, round out the program, so to speak. And I helped them write the rest of the album and played guitar, of course, on several tracks and ended up singing and doing some crazy songs for them. (laughs) Now, that was an awesome album. Did you do one or two? Uh, I only did the one, and then I quit. It was too crazy for me. Yeah, crazy, but crazy cool. It wasn't, actually, remember- it wasn't actually them that made me quit their craziness. It was the fact that I had a desire to be a blues and a jazz guitarist. And so yeah, I, no I just kidding. wanted to persevere with that. I didn't want to just spend all my time being a surf punk. Well, that was surf punk rock style. I remember, I think, one of your concerts. They, you were Johnny Malibu, so that was right. kind of your yeah. stage Johnny name, Johnny right? Malibu. It doesn't go so away. John- Johnny Malibu carried out onto the stage on a surfboard, right? Right. Yeah. So there you go. Santa Monica I mean, Civic Auditorium. Yeah. yeah, that's that's crazy. So you mentioned that uh, I jumped into the surf punks. What would you like to talk about before you got there? I mean, you, you've got a, a pretty huge history right before the surf punks, yeah? Well, I um, I was touring with a band called La Vera out of uh, New Orleans. Hmm. And um, I was in a band before that called The Magic Castle with a guy named Mike Rapignani. Mm-hmm. And that was a group that was signed to a production deal with A&M Records. Okay. And uh, it's an interesting story how that all got started. But uh, leaving high school, mm-hmm. you know, leaving high school, I uh, bought a van and I went to Mexico and Central America for three months on a surf trip with my brother Paul. And while I was away, I was practicing the guitar a great deal. I had an L12, which is like an acoustic uh, jazz guitar, no pickup or anything. Actually, it did have a, a DeArmond pickup originally, but I was playing it acoustically. But it didn't have, you know, like pickups that were mounted into the guitar. It was primarily an acoustic. And that's the guitar that I practiced on. And I made my transition from being a bass player to a guitar player ah, while okay. I was traveling in Mexico. Wow. And then when I got back, when I got back to uh, the States, mm-hmm. I was hanging out in West L.A. music a lot. Um and the owner there, I became friends with Don Griffin. And I actually did a little bit of a stint while I was in high school working there as a broom boy sweeping. Mm-hmm. But that di- I didn't last uh, very long. I was more interested <laughs> in playing music rather than working yeah. in a music store. Sure. But I, I've done a lot of that. But then when this band came down from Montana, the Magic Castle, mm-hmm. um, they were looking for a guitar player. And the owner of the store, uh, you know, where they were buying their equipment said, hey, there's this young guy, uh, John Heusenstam. Uh, I think he might fit in with you guys. And I went up and auditioned because I was in Newport after uh, coming back from uh, Mexico. I was living with my brother, Paul. And uh, I came up from Newport, and these guys liked the way I played. And the next thing I know, I'm I'm in a van on my way to Montana, which is where they, they were rehearsing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a story. Very awesome. There's, cra- nice. there's crazy stories around all these bands, so I don't know how... In, in, well, you've, yeah, you know, so you've got some, you've played some with some great bands, and and I want to kind of run through them, and maybe we can knock each one down a little bit. Okay. okay. You can well, it started with that band, okay. and they went on. Uh, Mike went on to get a big contract from, uh, I think it was MGM, 
or MCA, one of those big labels, uh, gave him a lot of money to record his album. And I was rehearsing with that band for about a year and a half, and I left just prior to him getting all that money to, to, to make the recordings. So mm -hmm. uh, uh, long story short, when I was in West Australia, uh, I heard the music in one of these music stores down there playing through the uh, speakers. You know, and the, <laughs> I go, hey, I used to be in that <laughs> band. Wow! Wow, that's interesting that they, uh, you know, here here I am in West Australia, and their music's being played. So that, you know, that's to make a long story short. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, uh, so after that, Lavera came along, and the way I got that gig was the bass player in uh, the Magic Castle. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, he got the gig playing with them, and then I joined uh, after that because uh, he he said, "Hey, I know this guitar player," and uh, I auditioned for that band and got that gig, and that was a big uh, educational. Uh, period for me because we were playing New Orleans music, rhythm and blues, hmm. uh, jazz, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Motown, all kinds of club music. Mm -hmm. And we were playing five nights a week um, in a Ramada Inn circuit, which it sound, might sound funny, Ramada Inn, you know, but uh, these are really nice clubs. Yeah. And uh, for months that went on and we were doing, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, Motown and black music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is ball before the surf punks. You Before know? the surf bunks, and, yeah. and you mentioned uh, that style of music, is it too early to jump into uh, the Denise Williams band? Uh, no, that that happened right after, uh, you know, right after the uh, La Vera band. I was fresh, uh, cool playing soul music. Yeah, because you have that great influence. I mean, and the, the, and another another thing going into the Magic Cash, the Magic Cash, the Magic uh, Castle. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Is that we had uh, interest, you know, in a lot of uh, uh, recording areas, and at the uh, record plant, there was an engineer there named Lee Kiefer, and he liked our band. He wanted to sign us to a production contract hmm. at the uh, record plant, and so, um, you know, uh, hanging around at the record plant and doing sessions with him, I met Jimmy Haslip, of course, who's the bass player for the Yellow Jackets. He's amazing. And, and we were doing sessions. Uh, and cross path, and then we started jamming uh, outside of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's the one that uh, got me the Denise Williams uh, audition. You know, he, he, can I can I interrupt real quick? Yeah, to give sure. A quick it's kind of hard to kind of go through so much. Sorry, I hope. No, I'm not... I know, no, no. The reason I'm interrupting because you mentioned Jimmy Haslip, and uh, I met him through you many years ago. I remember um, you were having this is kind of funny, but you mentioned uh, living with your brother Paul. I'm not sure if that's Paul and. Uh, in Newport, but there was a hat party, kind of like a jam session hat party. And you said, hey, why don't you come down? And you got some congas you can kind of sit in. And I was horrible. But you let me no, come you in. No, you weren't horrible. You kept, ah! you kept good time. <laughs> no, listen. So I'm outside with my friend. We're getting the congas out, right? And, I, and I, I'm listening. I go, oh, my gosh. Because it sounded like there was this super killer professional musician band in the house i thought i can't go in there because i was just starting out you know i come in there and you've got russell ferranti on keyboards yeah. you got jimmy haslip on bass uh chip sabulo i think sabulo um the the drummer it's um, hard for me to remember how to pronounce his name yeah, yeah. sorry yeah but it's like chip, the, the, Cipollini, uh, the yellow jackets yeah like the rhythm section and you were screaming on guitar i had to hook up through an amp through jimmy haslip's amp and i was scared to death but he was so gracious, and you were too, and it was, I had a ton of fun. But so, Jimmy Haslip, uh, amazing bass player, amazing. Yeah, he was uh, definitely an advocate, you know, to, to mm -hmm. know. I mean, he was mm -hmm. always very helpful. 
everybody would say that about him. He's got a real loving and strong personality together, which is really important. Yeah, he's uh, easy to be around. Yeah, great musician. Sure. So he he got you uh, connected with the Denise Williams. Yeah, band? he got me the Denise Williams audition. Oh, wow. And I was the only uh, white guy in that band. I was the token yeah. uh, white guy. And I, I would even ask the management, I would say, <laughs> how come you guys have me in the band? And you your know? hair is very blonde. My so, hair you know? is long blonde hair. I'm a surfer boy. <laughs> you know? Fresh out of that surf punks. <laughs> and uh, the, the manager said, uh, we want to give the band a cosmopolitan, a more universal uh, look. Mm. And uh, we love having you. You play great. And, uh, Amazing. And yeah, I think you were on the tour for uh, Too Much, Too Little, the album, uh, or Free? Uh, what was it? Uh, no, um, it's, uh, here's Nisi. Uh, this is Nisi, okay. I think, yeah. And it was produced That's, by uh, Maurice White, the leader of uh, uh, Earth, Wind & Fire. Well, yeah, and so you toured, and, and I believe you guys opened up for Earth, Wind & Fire, and you would be the guest, uh, or you'd, they'd have you come out and play uh, guitar in a couple songs at the concert, right? No, I just played in the Denise Williams band as her, oh, okay. uh, as her side, man. But I did get to take okay. solos, and I did get to uh, yeah. show off a little bit in her band. Maybe too much, you, even uh... sometimes. She said <laughs> one time, good. this is an Aerosmith. I went, well, I mean, just... But, you know, <laughs> well, it was interesting. Be. I'll just make a huh. quick, quick uh, injection here. Yeah. Um, that was the idea, in my mind, was to show off the guitar in a way like... Uh, Eric Clapton or like Jeff Beck playing with a soul singer, you know, that kind of wow. like idea, you know. Yeah. And then sure enough, not long after that, uh, Michael Jackson, uh, you know, introduced everybody to Eddie Van Halen, you know, with Thriller, yeah. I think was a. Oh, uh, yeah. Amazing. So I, so I go, hey, well, that was what I was trying to do. Hello. With, you know, yeah. <laughs> Maybe sorry. You Michael Jackson. You just didn't yeah. know it at the time. And I think you also uh, did you open up? As a band for Casey and the Sunshine? Yeah, no, band? Denise Williams opened up for a lot of different uh, big groups of the day. Most of the biggest yeah, yeah. soul groups of the day we opened up for. We opened for oh, uh, wow. uh, Lionel Richie and the Commodores, Al Green, wow. uh, Earth, Wind & Fire, the Brothers hmm. Johnson, Casey and the Sunshine Band, Rufus with the Shaka Khan. Uh, wow. We were opening for all these... Uh, you know, big groups, and of course, Denise Williams was making a name for herself because she was such a great singer. So, wow, what a great! She uh, was with Stevie Wonder time. before she went on her solo career. That's amazing. Yeah, it was That's a lot, of, a lot of fun, eye-opening uh, professionalism. I'll say that much. No kidding! Wow, and I think that with Denise Williams, you played with some really great musicians. Was it James Bradley and Charles Meeks? Bradley on drums. Well, it wasn't Meeks Charles Meeks. I can't remember the name of the uh, bass player. Sorry. Uh, That's but, okay. But it was James Bradley on drums. Okay. And he and I became very good friends. And later mm. on, we had a rehearsal band that we were planning on doing stuff with. We were recording and rehearsing, but nothing ever came out of it. But in that band, Charles Meeks was the bass player. And those two guys mm. were the rhythm section for the Chuck Mangione band. You know, yeah, the Feel I So Good that, album? Yeah. yeah that's James yeah, Bradley that's a, and Chuck uh, or Charles Meeks playing on that album.
John Hoisenstam on guitar. Should I say Johnny Malibu? Boy, you can sure hear the B.B. Uh, King influence there. He was one of my big heroes. This is a Believe uh, podcast. I'm your host, John Hoisenstam. Today, filling in for me, interviewing me, is uh, Pat Honeywell. Hope you're enjoying our show. Please subscribe. So that could be a good segue into my next question about Australia, because I believe that... Um you went to Australia, yeah, uh, for like eight to ten years, and had a killer history, a great history there. Um, but I, I mentioned the segue to Australia because I believe at that time uh, they were forming the Mangione Band while you were in Australia, I think. And weren't they talking to you about maybe coming back and playing guitar? The, they were already established. Uh, Grant uh-huh. Geisman was the guitar player. Oh, okay, and okay. Uh, he, which by the way, he's fantastic. He is, and yeah. those would have been very big, you know, shoes to fill. Uh-huh. Uh, but they did call me. Uh, James uh, Bradley called me. Uh, uh, you know, he mm-hmm. didn't g- go on about what it was he was calling about, but he wanted to find out what I was doing. And when he, mm-hmm. <laughs> when I told him that he was talking to me in West Australia, I think that was it. He go, <laughs> he's living in West huh. Australia. Let's just uh, forget about uh, this and find somebody else who lives in Los Angeles, <laughs> a little closer. Yeah, yeah, a or bit something closer. like that. But uh, yeah. he, he never you know, like let, let on to what it was he was calling me about, but I'm sure it was something to do with that. Yeah. But you know, so in Australia, I was looking at some old, uh, some cool photos of you performing. You toured a lot and you had a huge following in Australia. Um, you did recordings. Why don't you talk a bit about that? Uh, the time you had there, <clears throat> if you don't mind, <clears throat> come on. <laughs> so <laughs> De- Denise Williams uh, became, uh, it was difficult for me. Um, okay. Um, I didn't think that a life, you know, going from one metropolitan area to another to play a concert, staying in hotels, uh, you know, being the only uh, one of a kind, so to speak, guy, it was I, I was uncomfortable because a lot of the time I wasn't just with my musicians who, trust me, those guys treated me more like a brother than any musicians I'd ever been in in my life. Wow. I, we were That's family. Fantastic. The Denise Williams band was family. And Charles Mims, mm-hmm. the keyboard guy, he was he was like Herbie Hancock. He's just incredible to be around, right? Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. I, but I was uncomfortable. I was a surfer boy, uh, you know, missing the ocean, missing the waves, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, my brother Mark was in West Australia, and he said, you got to mm-hmm. come down here, and you got to, when you get a chance, come and surf these waves. So... Mm-hmm. I quit the Denise Williams band after a few months, uh, three months or whatever it was of touring, uh, two months of touring, and I just said, you know, that's not my life. So mm-hmm. I went to go to vis- catch up with my brother Mark in West Australia. That's how that whole thing got started. Got you. And okay. uh, the surf there is just unbelievable. It's now one of the you know the stops on the world tour, mm-hmm. uh, North Point, Margaret River. Uh, and back then it wasn't that uh, crowded, you know. There wasn't that many people around, so we got some fantastic surf, and uh, it, it gets better and better. <laughs> this story, I don't know how to, you know. Well, you know, I I know that you uh, you had uh, a a couple of, or at least I don't know, a couple great bands, but it was all based on you. Um, what style of guitar did they seem to like? Uh, was it your blues playing, rock? What were you doing? Well, this is an interesting uh, question because uh, okay, there I am. I'm in West Australia, right? I've been. Mm-hmm. surfing for months you know i mm-hmm. spent uh, nearly six months just surfing and practicing my guitar my brother mm-hmm. mark and i and his uh his wife leslie uh leslie mm-hmm. was uh, uh pregnant at the time mm-hmm. and uh, we were living in this uh, f- 
farmhouse, and I was practicing my acoustic guitar. I had a guild acoustic, and I was going through Ted Green books and uh, practicing all my scales, you know. And uh, some friends of my brother Mark, who were musicians and surfers, came down, the Bailey brothers, John and Dave Bailey, and they were living in a farm down there as well, right? Mm And we would get together, and he had this little tape recorder, and he made a little recording of uh, us playing, right? And I listened to it, and I almost became a victim of my own cliches because I hadn't heard myself play in so long, right? Uh-huh. And at this recording, I said, wow, I'm really onto something here. I really en- I'm enjoying what I'm hearing, right? Mm-hmm. And then I met my wife, Julie, uh, my wife-to-be, I should say, Julie. She was living in a farm that was walking distance from where I was, and uh, I didn't know we were going to get married, but uh, I had met this really a special person in West Australia. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did some jams with other people, but I hadn't been in a band yet. But then they had this thing at the Quorum of Paul called uh, Community Unity that my brother threw together just so we could get musicians and the community down and have this. Uh... And then I met some pretty, pretty decent musicians, you know, that I, I felt I could actually, uh, you know, work with that were very professional. And that's how I left West Australia after uh, nearly six months with the idea I could go back there someday and I could actually play music. And then I went on to India after that. I went directly to India and I studied music in India for a month at the Sri Aurobindo Ashram. And the reason why I had this attraction to India is because my dad had books published there or a book published there. And, uh, I went as his ambassador because he had passed away from a car accident. Oh, so I went to India to kind of like say hello to everybody there and appreciate the connection that they had with him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I learned music from an Indian guy named Tublu who played Bansurai, which is a, a, a bamboo uh, flute. But he was a master musician, and I studied with him for about a month, you know, and then I got homesick. And I, instead of he invited me to go on tour with him, he was going to really? tour around India, and he wanted me to be his apprentice. Mm-hmm. And I and I just uh, you know he wanted me to be his student, his disciple, mm-hmm. right? And I didn't want to do that. I, I just said, you know what, I'm going to go back to America and count my uh, <laughs> count my marbles here and try to figure out who I am and what I'm doing with my life.
John Heusenstam. Indian Influence. You're listening to a Believe podcast. I'm your host, John Oisenstam. Normally, today, uh, Pat Honeywell is uh, interviewing myself. So, hope you're enjoying our show. Please subscribe. So, you, I can definitely see the Indian influence. I remember knowing that. I brought you over to a friend's house, um, actually, um, an oud player named John Belazikian. Yeah. Oh my, he's amazing. I thought I've got to, I've got to introduce John to John because you're so amazing. Um, and he's, I was very proud of your playing. So I brought you there and, and I remember you guys jammed together. Here he is on this oud and you're on acoustic and he'd smile and you play off each other and you do some Indian, but some fusion. And he told me, man, he, he is really good. So I think about your different influences. So you do have quite a few different influences. Um, and depending on the gig you're playing, I know you play blues a lot. Do you play fusion, play jazz? Is there a particular favorite style that you like to play? Well, that Indian music started because of the Beatles and uh, John McLaughlin. Hmm. And their music yeah. was a current. So I tried mm -hmm. to keep up with what it was that they were thinking about and try to, uh, you know, match whatever they were doing. Mm -hmm. And I went to the... Uh, Ali Akbar College of Indian Music to kind of continue to develop my Indian in interests, right? Mm -hmm. And while I was there at the school, uh, Ali Akbar Khan was composing this music, and I said, well, that sounds a lot like the blues, what he's doing right there. Uh, uh, what's going on here? And at the end of the, uh, the session, I said, this is Indian blues. And I thought to myself, you know, blues is something I think... I could be good at, uh, do I want to be a professional Indian musician? I don't think I could be a professional Indian musician, but I could be a professional blues musician. I felt kind of silly, right? Mm. And uh, later on, I found out that one of his favorite musicians was B.B. King. And, uh, of course, I mm -hmm. started studying B.B. King when I was a teenager. And mm -hmm. uh, I decided right there and then, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, finish up my uh, semester here uh, in school, and then I'm going to pursue my career as a you know as an american uh, musician playing blues and soul and funk or whatever <laughs> that's mm -hmm. how that all went down and i was gotcha. married at that time julie and i had just gotten married she mm -hmm. traveled over from australia later and uh, we could go in a little bit into that um, that happened right around the time of the surf punks oh, Ju wow. julie and i we kept in touch with each other uh -huh. and uh, uh she she was uh teaching um english uh in Asia, working her way uh, to America uh, to catch up with us. So that's how all that came about. Anyway, so yeah, so yeah, we were both uh, very into meditation and uh, Indian Indian influences, so to speak. <laughs> we yeah, had something beautiful. in common. No, it's yeah. awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. I remember later, um, and you, you, you know, I remember quite a bit of your blues playing and some fusion. Studio Cafe in Newport Beach. Um, I bring that up too because I know that you had. Uh, interviewed on your podcast which by the way is amazing you have some amazing musicians and and you also have some really great bass players that you played with at the studio cafe and throughout your history i could i'd like to just name a couple i mean you you've played with jimmy Haslip, vernon porter um baba alafante Vale johnson uh to name a few um and at the studio it was so much fun because it, it wasn't far for me to go and you had a huge following and play in the streets because you had we'll talk a bit about equipment you used but that yeah. was a really 
really awesome too at Thanks. that time. Yeah, yeah, no, that lasted for ten years, and uh, I think the who's who of the uh, studio musicians and people that weren't on the road could come and play uh, that gig with me when they were available and when I needed someone. Um, Definitely. Like a lot of these guys, like the drummer Rick Slosser, he he had played with Van Morrison. There was a Denny Sywell, I think that's how you say his name. He played with Wings and Paul McCartney, left-handed drummer. I mean, there were a lot of people sitting in all the time. Some of these guys might have only played once or twice with me. But there were lineups where I had my favorite rhythm sections going. Uh, I had Matt Marshall, Alan Diaz. A uh, real great funky uh, period was with uh, Vernon Porter and uh, Mario Rossi. Mario can play anything. I mean, he can play drums, keyboards, excellent singer. There was uh, Dave Spur on drums and Lester McFarlane. Lester played a lot with Mario and with uh, Dave Spur. He's a fantastic bass player from uh, the Jeff Lorber Fusion. And I think he played with Esther Phillips. Fantastic, uh, soulful bass player. Later on, Lester and uh, Jan Ashley a drummer from, uh, oh yeah, I think he was with the Mike Riley Band. Also played with uh, Elvin Bishop. Well, Elvin Bishop's legendary with uh, Paul Butterfield. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there were great drummers that came through. Uh, Alan mm -hmm. Diaz from uh, Brazil, uh, 66, you know, Sergio Mendes. Yeah. He, he was there for a few years. He was like the first real quality uh you know, Latin drummer who specialized in Latin rhythms that mm -hmm. I that I work with. And um, the bass player at that time was Matt Marshall from the Marshall family, a very well-known uh, family in the entertainment yeah. and the music yeah, industry. Yeah, Matt's awesome. Yeah, Matt, yeah, Matt was insanely solid on the bass, probably the most mm -hmm. solid bassist I'd work with. Um, mm -hmm. And together, those two guys, Alan and Matt, that was probably my favorite uh, rhythm section of the 10 years that I was there, those two guys, I mean, that just that place just went crazy when those guys played. I mean, they were <laughs> great. so good together. <laughs> the chemistry, the synergy. So yeah. when you when you think about it, like let's say you have a gig coming up and you have, uh, it's going to be a blues gig. Yeah. You might have a bass player style you prefer uh, versus maybe if you have a jazz gig. Do you look for a certain style of bass player? Well, that would, that would be uh, ideal. Um, you know, to always have that kind of uh, resource. But I'll tell you, today, in the modern era, most bass players and most musicians are so versatile mm -hmm. that they, they expect uh, these things to happen at the gig because they've done so mm -hmm. much work, especially if they're veterans. Gotcha. You know, uh, they usually come prepared to play country, blues, jazz, rock, fusion. Uh, that's usually the uh, scenario... Uh, for the modern musician to be prepared mm -hmm. to play a number of different styles, yeah. And so you were called upon that too, I believe, with the Cashed Out Band. I think you toured with the Cashed Out Band, so a country style for you on guitar. Well, uh, I believe at first I was a bit of a disappointment because that was a new style of guitar playing that I had to really like research. Mm -hmm. And uh, through word of mouth, uh, uh, George Bernardo, the drummer, uh, heard about me through a bass player who was a great fusion guy, uh, Doug Lunn. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, R.I.P. to him. He passed away recently. But uh, Doug Lunn was uh, playing with Cashed Out, and I guess uh, they got uh, my name from him. do a lot of work, and it was difficult for me to make that transition uh, 
to play like a Luther Perkins or a Carl Perkins guitar style. Johnny Cash guitar style of music. The Roots, baby. This is John Heusenstamm. This is a Believe podcast. I hope you're enjoying our show. Please subscribe. I had to get mm-hmm. the equipment organized. I had to figure out how to get the sound. I had to play mm-hmm. in a very, uh, you know, stylistically exact kind of, well, exact isn't a good word, but uh, yeah, I had to kind of like uh, fit in. Mm. <laughs> It wasn't Stay within t- that style. <laughs> yeah, it was a completely different uh, thing for me. So uh, I might have disappointed them at first, but eventually I got the show down, and uh, it turned out to be great. I really, uh, uh, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was really fun. Well, you know, you've got such an amazing history in, in uh, guitar, a lot of um, just super, super um, – your background is amazing, and it's in a different variety of, of styles. And so let's talk a little bit about you as a guitar instructor. You've got some great – instructing avenues um you have a book or two that you put out i remember the guitar workout i went to your signing yeah and it's amazing uh what what it what influenced you to write that in all honesty i didn't think i could be a professional uh, musician and be a good husband to my wife uh Mm -hmm. being out on tour all the time and having weird hours um so i chose to uh uh, teach guitar. At least mm-hmm. I was keeping the uh, instrument in my hands. I'd be able to uh, have regular hours mm-hmm. and teach people uh, music. Mm-hmm. So the books came uh, after many years of uh, giving private guitar lessons. Um, the books just sort of like uh, happened. Uh, it's a very interesting story how... Uh, I was in San Francisco playing with uh, Kofi Baker, Ginger Baker's Mm. son, and we were doing a lot of cream material, you know. But in the audience, uh, through a friend of a friend, was somebody who worked with Hal Leonard, you know, publishing. Mm. And uh, Shara Lou was her name. And uh, she came backstage and she said, do you have any... uh, written materials on uh, your your guitar style, the way you play the guitar. I mean, do you have anything, uh, you know, educational materials? And I said, I have a lot of notes stacked up a mile high, but I don't have uh, anything organized. She says, well, get something together, and we'll make a presentation to Hal Leonard, and we'll try to get you a publishing deal so you can write a book for Hal Leonard. And I said, well, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I was hoping a record company would approach me and want to record, you know, an album. But here's a publishing company approaching me wanting to write a book. So what's Amazing. the difference, right? So yeah. so this is interesting. I went to the NAM show with my uh, three months of, of pencil notes. NAM shows, you know, the National Association of Music Merchants is a great big trade show for musicians. And uh, at the, the Hal Leonard booth, uh, uh, Jeff, um, the vice president... You know, he comes out from his uh, his uh, little office, you know, makeshift office there, and he goes, where did that drummer go? <laughs> you know, he must have been in the meeting with some drummer. And then Charlou, um spotted him and said, uh, hey, Jeff, um, here's John. He's got his uh, manuscript he wants to share with you. And he says, I've got five minutes. 
So I put my uh, all my notes out on this uh, table, and he's looking. He goes, what does that mean right there? And I says, well, that's called a sweep leap. You know, when a guitarist plays this sort of figure, I call it a sweep leap. He goes, hey, that's interesting how you labeled that. <laughs> and th this is a sweep leap right here where you go from this end of the guitar to that. He goes, he goes I've never heard, uh, you know, or seen anybody label these sort of like uh, figures before for the guitar. And I go, well, that's just what I tell my students. And it's a way of staying organized because there are all these different little techniques that guitar players use that nobody's really given them, a, you know, a title for. So, uh, you know, sweep, leap, uh, X, X leap, whatever. And he said, you know, I'd sign you to a contract right now, but I got to run this by uh, by a round table, uh, you know. So that's what happened. Eventually, I, I got the uh, publishing deal, and I wrote that book, uh, Guitar Workout, yeah. And I think that's still available on Amazon? I won a publishing award uh, through oh. them, you know, uh, third <sighs> third place, uh, <laughs> Paul Rivera, uh, Paul, uh, yeah, Rivera Publishing uh Got a Amazing. very strong mention amongst like uh, 98 books or something like that. Wow. Uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, and these are books like for, you know, Bach, Prelude, uh, Mo Study of Mozart, Piano, this. You know, they put the book right in there with all these different books, and I, and I was uh, right up there at the top. Poison, yeah. Stom, and yeah. Mozart. I like yeah. it. Nice. That's a nice ring. Yeah, my, yeah, uncle, so <laughs> yeah, my uncle helped me. Nice, yeah, nice. Uncle George. So yeah, so you're a, you have a great uh, background as an instructor at Laguna Beach Guitar Shop. Um, I think you um, you still take on students, but well, yeah, you know, I'm all... teaching there currently right now. Awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. So hopefully people will reach out now on YouTube. You have a YouTube channel with tons, thousands of people following you, and I was looking at a couple of your. Uh, um, some of your instructions, uh, I mean, oh, you, you have sections on blues, on jazz, on uh, increasing speed, all these cool things that you cover for guitar players. And mm -hmm. some of them have hundreds of thousands of views. I mean, that's mm -hmm. amazing. What are the people that follow you, the ones, the guitar players or wannabe guitar players, what do they look for in you or what, what, it, what, it, what would they like to see you play? What seems to be the most um, requested style or technique or whatever well you know as we started you know in the interview we were talking about all these different guitar styles mm -hmm. and i did research you know to learn how to play that music and then eventually when i started teaching i had to figure out a way to uh you know uh show people how it's done so to speak you know mm -hmm. in a, in a meth methodical you know way you know to try to come up with some sort of method and um <clears throat> Somebody came into the guitar shop, Rick Oakey, and uh, they had a deal with the Guitar Center to do online instruction. Now, this hmm. is way back in the 90s before it became um, Vogue, right? This was kind of like an early type of, uh, you know, idea. Since computers were running so hot, online instruction was going to be the uh, future, right? So they came yeah. to me wanting me to do a segments for him. So I ended up doing, listen, I ended up doing like 12, or well, not 12, maybe 10 DVDs uh -huh. of guitar instruction. Wow. Right? Mm -hmm. And that was all through the guitar centers with another guy, uh, Mark Seal, who I interviewed. He's one of the uh, people I interviewed for my show. He and I mm -hmm. put together this huge array of all kinds of guitar instruction stuff. Mm. And that got a tremendous amount of... Uh, exposure but that wasn't that wasn't being let out freely because it was a property of uh you know that company and then mm -hmm. a, a, one of my guitar students 
he and I started f filming videos at his house. Joe Curry was his name. And those <laughs> were the ones that got real popular because I started doing uh, whatever it was I was teaching people. I started doing videos of it and they really caught on. So that's what that bulk of that, you know, following was from. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, I love that. Uh, I love your YouTube channel. It's, it's pretty darn awesome. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, guitars and equipment. Um, if you had, a, uh, and this is the way I, I look at it, I mean, then you could expand on it, but if you had a gig, let's say, and it was going to be a blues gig, what's your go-to guitar? What's your favorite guitar to bring, or do you bring a couple? Well, they're all good. I mean, the yeah. best Les Paul, the best 335, the best Stratocaster, the best oh, Telecaster I could find. The best. They all, they all would suit, you know. It wouldn't, uh -huh. it wouldn't matter. They all have their strengths. You know, <laughs> neither awesome. is like the other. They're all unique, uh -huh. Uh -huh. but they they all serve uh, uh, to be a good guitar. You know, got you, got you. Yeah. Now, what about basses? I know that because you have a you have a bass background. You started on bass. Yeah. Um, I started what, on a Gibson bass or Fender bass and a Gibson bass, and then back to Fender. Yeah, the Fender bass has been so popular um, forever. I mean, do you have any favorite types of bass? Oh, I like an old Precision bass. You know, mm -hmm. from from the '60s, if I could have one they're really expensive now but uh, i've had them you know i know yeah. how great awesome how great they are awesome yeah okay what about okay let's talk about amps a little bit an amplifier let's say you have a small gig um what's your go-to amp i've like always been a fender guy you know okay. and i and i like uh a lot of the smaller uh fender amps because they're easy to carry but at first when i was a very you know hardy young young surfer lad uh, I would carry around twin reverbs, you know, which weigh Oof. a ton, by the way. They're like an 80-pound wow. amp. And I had one with JBLs in it, so Oof. those are JBL speakers. Made it even heavier. Man. And, uh, you know, twin reverbs are uh, where I started, and I, I gradually scaled back. I ended up using a Vibralux. A lot of the time I was touring in mm. Australia, I had a Vibralux. That mm -hmm. was a great amplifier. And I'd use that with a Marshall, 50-watt Marshall amp, you know, quad box, Ford 12 you know, back then, uh, to get a good Plexi wasn't that expensive. I I, I think I bought mine for seven hundred and fifty dollars. Now mm -hmm. it's probably about seven thousand five hundred dollars. You know, because wow. because they're so sought after. Yeah. But, what about uh, recordings? I mean, like a recording. So I you know, any of those recording. amps, any of those small, all good? Okay. Uh, like a like a Fender Princeton, um, a Fender Deluxe. You know, an old an old Bassman would be the the ultimate. But of course, they're. Uh, very expensive and hard to come by and, and hard to carry around. Uh, after carrying around heavy equipment most of my life, uh, I don't I don't enjoy uh, coming home with a sore back, you know, so uh, <laughs> I, I like to scale down and keep keep it to a minimum. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, another another question a little bit on guitars. When you have a new student coming in that's just picking up the guitar for the first time. Yeah. What type of guitar if they say, hey, you know, I need a guitar. I don't have one. I've been borrowing my brothers or whatever. What's a good starting guitar for somebody well i think any guitar is good if it's been set up so it's easy okay. to play like mm -hmm. guitars generally come from the factory with a high action hmm. and and then it's up to a, a, a you know a luthier or a craftsman to kind of like set it up so it plays yeah. easy yeah. and i think everybody that uh, wants to get into a guitar should really take note of that their, their guitars need to be set up so they're easier to play and that can be any kind of guitar an acoustic guitar i mean they're making really fantastic uh, imported guitars that are replicas mm -hmm. of you know the uh, the originals but if it's set up nice it's it's easy to play that's a good starting mm -hmm. guitar 
You know? Sounds good. Okay. okay. Yeah. And about, now, what about accessories? I mean, when I think of accessories, me, I, you know, I don't play guitar, but I know you do. So Echo, you reverb, a distortion, okay, all, all that kind of stuff. Love it. I, I remember you used to, it sounded, you used to have a guitar style when you play on, you know, my, one of my favorite songs in the old days is uh, Harmony, no, not Harmony Island, that one too, but Grand Spindle. You had almost like um. It sounded, what was that sound you were getting? Kind of a... Um... Well, you know, back then I was using a Roland JC120. Yes. Okay. And uh, a lot of people didn't like the sound that I was getting. I mean, I used it when I was in the surf punks. It's more of a fabricated kind of a distortion sound. I mean, I liked it sound. because cause it was one of the early amps that had everything built into it. It had stereo chorus, reverb, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. distortion built into the amp. It was one of the early... You know, and I just said, oh, this is a convenience. I'll just plug straight in there and just use that. Well, <laughs> later on, I found out that there's, you know, there's better ways to sculpt a sound, uh, you know, t- to uh, to get a more uh, personal, idealistic kind of guitar sound. You got to you got to do a little research, pick the best distortion pedal, pick the best mm-hmm. amp, pick the best echo and really uh, gradually work your way into sculpting a sound. Yeah. You know these accessories like uh, even the, a Wawa pedal. Yeah, um, or, I use a cry. I use a crybaby Wawa, traditional okay. one. Well, yeah. stop your crying, John. I have another question. So, uh, <laughs> so um, is there anything new coming out, or there, is somebody still inventing? Uh, well, people are constantly uh, making what we call boutique, you know, custom distortion pedals and custom, you know, uh, reverbs and echoes and all of this stuff. Wow. You know, claiming. Mm-hmm claiming that they've actually come up with something that's the latest and the greatest. But really, uh, I mean, I think we're going around in a lot of circles here. Mm. I mean, some of the early stuff uh, is fantastic. You can't, you can't replicate it. So the only way to get that sound is to have an original, like, uh, you know, like Ibanez Tube Screamer, or some of the early uh, rat pedals were great. And, uh, you know, those early components, you know, uh, you know, it's like a Stratocaster is a classic guitar. People still like mm-hmm. them. So... There's Definitely. a lot of effects that are the same way. They have the same kind of notoriety and that they, uh, you know, it sounded great then. Why can't it sound great now? <laughs> it does Definitely. sound great now. So, yeah. So looking uh, at yourself right now, uh, John, I mean, when you, if you go to turn on some music, what are you listening to now? What do you, what inspires you? That is a darn good question. Um, well, a great deal of the music that we hear now is so well produced. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way we can share on the internet information, you know, up, you know, up Pop Spring. I mean, these people come out of the woodwork that are just incredibly talented. Mm. How did that happen? Well, they can just go online now and just see what's out there and let themselves be influenced in any form or shape. I, I've heard some absolutely incredible singers some incredible guitar players, fantastic bands. This group called Dirty Loops from, I think they're from Sweden. They're, they're just amazing, you know. Mm. They're like taking it to another level. You know, the production's incredible. The musicianship is incredible. There's plenty out there to, to check out, you mm. know. Uh, I mean, I'm still entertained by the greats, you know, B.B. King, Freddie King, and Albert King. And yeah. until I see a guy that can entertain me like that, I'll always be a, a little bit prejudiced. But definitely, yeah, technically, technically speaking, um, you know, there's some fantastic musicians out there, uh, no doubt. You know, ba- and uh, you've Bonamassa, you know, Bonamassa. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's yeah. technically, he's as great as there's ever been. 
on guitar wow. and vocally. So, huh. I mean, you got to hand it to some of these younger guys. Mm. You know, I, I hadn't even heard of Stevie Ray Vaughan until I was already on tour touring. I was already a touring musician playing, and somebody mm -hmm. came along with a Stevie Ray Vaughan record. So amazing! You know, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of uh, scope to who you want to be influenced by. Yeah. Well, you know, you've got on you have an amazing podcast. I love it, uh, the Guitar Life, and you interview some of these amazing players. I wish that Stevie Ray Vaughan was still around for you to interview. Um, that was tragic the way he yeah. passed away. Yeah. When yeah. I hear him play, I just I just think of individuality amidst millions of other ple people that play the same kind of music. Mm. I just say there is a unique individual right there, full yeah. of soul, full of passion, distinct sound, fantastic singing style. Mm. I mean, that guy was just, he was just a phenomenon. Yeah, know? he was. Gary Moore, too. I like Gary Moore for different another reasons. Another guy, another great tech technically great but soulful player at the same time and mm. singing forget it he was a fantastic singer so before we close um john tell me or tell the audience uh your audience how you started or what uh, motivated you to do the podcast well i have a relative ah and this is funny usually when i see somebody that's doing a crap show <laughs> I always say to myself, the only way that person could have ever got that job is through a cousin or a relative, you know, and it goes for politics as well. Yeah. But but yeah. like uh, but like I have a, a, a relative, Braun, mm -hmm. Huesenstam is how he likes to say his last Heard name. Heard of him. Yeah, I like yeah. to say Huesenstam when I'm trying to spell it, Huesenstam in the old world. But yeah, yeah Braun started uh, the Believe Podcast Network and we were golfing. And he suggested you ought to you ought to try uh, doing a podcast. And I go, what does it entail? I, I mean, I didn't know anything about it, right? Uh -huh. So he, so I, uh, you know, I checked out uh, his fantastic uh, service, his network, and I just said, geez, to be a part of this would be something. Let's Definitely. let's give it a go and see what happens. So I've done twenty interviews, and uh, people were asking me to do this interview so they could hear about me. Definitely, and uh, yeah. I just thought, since you were doing podcasts. On try on food <laughs> and cooking. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, okay. I, but but yeah. doing a great job yourself. And I knew you from music. Mm -hmm. You'd be a good person to interview me. Yeah. Well, it's an honor. Uh, it's been an honor. So, is there anything we've missed? Is there something that I've left out? Something else you'd like to talk about before we close? Well, probably the greatest thing that's ever happened to me is I was playing at the, uh, I'm going to cry, uh, I was playing at the uh, Oak Bar and Grill in Newport Beach, Fashion Island, mm -hmm. and I was doing these things called Jazzy Brunch. It was a Sunday afternoon show, and I'd play sometimes from 10 to 2 or 11 to 3, and I'd do these uh, solo jazz guitar, uh, you know, bits, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, one day... Um, just as I was sort of finishing up in the last hour, this uh, very regal-looking uh, black gentleman, almost running from the uh, lobby, comes running into the restaurant. He comes straight up to me, and he says, he says, you're amazing. I, I just can't believe this. You're just an amazing guitar player. And he <laughs> sat down uh, in front of me about 10 feet away, and then his wife, you know, following along, sat next to him. And the two of them sat there for uh, probably uh, 40 minutes, you know, 45 minutes, and between every song, 
the guy would say, oh, man, what's that guitar you're playing? Oh, man, what's that amplifier you got? I mean, those guitars are the greatest sounding guitars in the world. This is just incredible. Uh, you know, in between every song, it was like, what are you doing with your life? I mean, where do you live? Uh, where are you going? <laughs> I mean, how did you how did you become a guitarist? And uh, at the end of, uh, of our uh, acquaintance, uh, you know, uh, he asked me how long I was going to be there for. And I says, well, I have to stop at 2 o'clock. And he goes, darn, oh, have you got a business card? And uh, I said, sure, here's my card. I just happened this one time to have a few business cards in my top pocket. <laughs> and I handed it to him, and he looked at it, and he goes, John, ha, ha, ha. I go, Hoisenstam, you could say Heusenstam, Hoisenstam, John Hoisenstam. And I go, I go, sir, this was such an honor to play the guitar for you. He goes, he goes, the honor was mine. And it was George Benson. <laughs> so that oh was like God. that was like the my you know my greatest uh, moment in music because he was such a big influence. I remember when I was uh, 16 years old driving down the 405 freeway listening to the Long Beach Jazz uh, you know radio uh, mm -hmm. jazz blues radio station. There was this music came on and there was this guitar player and it was George Benson and I just said mm -hmm. someday I want to play like that guy. And that sent me on a incredible music adventure, uh, taking lessons with uh, Joe Pass, and then uh, Ted Green, and Tony Rizzi, and uh, Bob Conti, all these great uh, jazz guitar players who, uh, you know, offered lessons. Uh, you know, jazz is a really difficult uh, medium. It's really uh, essential, I think, to have good teachers. So uh, they really helped me. And eventually, uh, you know, I thought I became a pretty good jazz guitarist. <laughs> well, you know, you put, a lot of, uh, you put a lot of work in your guitar, and your, uh, you earned that compliment. And for him to stay that long, and I mean, you deserve that. Anyway, that's a great, great story, John. Thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for joining me on your podcast. This has been a lot of fun, Mr. John Hoisenstamm. And uh, so there you go. Thanks again. Hope you have a great day. Thanks for doing this, Pat. to a Believe podcast. Our special guest host today was Patrick Honeywell. My name is John Hoisenstamm. This is The Guitar Life. Today we covered uh, a lot of my time in uh, the States. We'll have another show sometime where we talk about uh, my time spent in Australia. Don't forget, if you enjoy our show, please subscribe. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V 
on YouTube.